There's been many events in this momentous year, but tonight I'm going to uh, do it a little bit differently than uh, being customary, because uh, I believe it's time that we establish not only uh, these events, but to make it very clear to you uh, the basis on which we make these pronunciations about world events. Uh, because the sceptics might say, well, yes, but where's the proof of what you're saying? So tonight we'll be using the Bible quite a lot, as well as uh, concentrating on a limited number of things. There's literally hundreds of events we could talk about. I'm going to concentrate on events around the city of Jerusalem, Israel, Russia, and of course, the United Kingdom, Britain, and uh, the papacy, the role that the Pope is playing at present in the politics of Europe and eventually in the whole world. So let's start with that reading, uh, which we've just read, the so-called Olivet Prophecy, because it was given on the Mount of Olives, one of the last utterances of the Lord before his crucifixion. And uh, we, we, quite, we chose that because it gives us very clear time markers. There's lots of reasons why we say we're living in the last days before the return of our Lord. But here's the Lord's own words. And he gives us a clear, step-by-step -step time signature so that we know where we are. Now, the first time marker he makes is the fact that Jerusalem would be encompassed with armies and the nation taken off into captivity. Now, that was occurred when the Romans conquered Jerusalem and dispersed the Jewish people throughout all nations, destroyed by the Romans and the people dispersed. Jesus went on to say that until, you see there in, uh, in verse... Um, uh, in verse uh, 23, woe unto those that are with child in those days because it would be a time of great distress. Verse 24, the nation would fall by the edge of the sword, the Roman armies, and be led away captive into all nations, and Jerusalem shall be trodden down of non-Jewish nations, that's where Gentiles refers to, until the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled. So that is the time marker. When was the time when Jerusalem's down-treading notably uh, ceased and that came back into the Jewish people's hands? That was in 1967 during the Six-Day War. For the first time in 2,000 years, the Jews had free access to Jerusalem and the Temple Mount. This would be followed, Jesus said, to times of insoluble problems and fear, the word perplexity, which you read there uh, in, in verse 25, means no way of escape, no solution, insoluble problems. And we believe we're, if we haven't reached that, we're rapidly approaching that point in time. These symbols here, the sun, moon and stars and the sea and the waves, are typical Bible symbolic language. Right from the time of Genesis, in Genesis chapter 1, God set the sun, moon and stars in the, earth, in the firmament, the heavens, not only to measure time and days and years, but for signs. So right back in Genesis, God said he's going to use these heavenly bodies as signs. The sun and moon for the ruling powers and the religious powers and the stars for the normal people and the sea and the waves for nations. So we're seeing a time of terrific turmoil among the nations and insoluble problems. But the most important things come in verses 27, 28, that when we see these things and men's hearts failing for fear for looking after the earth and the problems, you lift up your heads. He's talking to his disciples and all those who follow Jesus as disciples, who believe in him and believe the gospel which he preached. And that would apply us if we believe the gospel which Jesus preached. But when these things come to pass, then look up your heads, don't be dismayed, for your redemption draws near. And he says, behold the fig tree and all the trees, and when you see them sprout, the kingdom of God is near at hand. Now the fig tree is a symbol of Israel, right back from Hosea chapter 9, where God says, I found your fathers as the rights." Uh, the first ripe figs in the wilderness, referring to when he, the birth of the nation when they came out of Egypt. 
So, there's a time when Jerusalem will be back in Jewish hands. There's a time, at the same time, simultaneously, problems besetting the earth, which are insoluble, fear gripping the people, and Israel back in the land, and Jerusalem in their hands. That's where we are. That's our license for saying we're living in the last days. Well, what have been some of the markers of our days in uh, the last 12 months? Well, before. Rebellion and rioting throughout the earth. As it says here, distress of nations, the sea and the waves roaring, the people rising up. Here's a, just a list which I extracted. Not going to go through them all. These are the capitals which have been racked by street demonstrations in which people lose their lives, where the government authorities fire on them, like in Hong Kong, Buenos Aires, Paris particularly. Paris, they, they, they go on the street for everything. President, they're rioting over uh, Emmanuel Macron trying to socialise the nation and take over things like pensions and so forth to the government administration. Barcelona, Melbourne even, over the climate conference. Toronto, Tehran, of course, against the regime. So not everyone is happy with the extreme uh, Islam of the mullahs. Birmingham, of course, Jakarta, Caracas in Venezuela against the president that they don't approve of. All sorts of reasons. Doesn't matter what the reasons is. Climate is one. Out in the street over climate. A 16-year-old girl, Greta Thornburg, from Norway, she should be at school. And she's leading, she's become the emblem of the climate. And they put her on the front cover of Time magazine for the person of the year. This is just political stuff. And Donald Trump, Trump when he was asked, went something about that should be in school. Jerusalem. Let's talk about Jerusalem. During 2019, a couple of significant uh, events occurred, or well, one in 2018, which has brought Jerusalem into contention. And we've known about this because of the prophet, Zechariah talks about a time when Jerusalem will become a burdens of stone for all people. And in those succeeding verses in Zechariah, God says, whoever tries to lift that stone and burden himself with it, it will crush them. Now we know that Jerusalem's the, the burning issue of the Arab world against Israel. Not only the land, but the city of Jerusalem. And of course, Jerusalem, as I said, was back in Jewish hands in 1967. And Israel allowed them full, full access to the Temple Mount. They can go up there. The Israeli police, not the Arabs, keep order. Otherwise, there'd be riots every day. But still the Arabs complain. Now, the contentious things were, first of all, in May 2018, uh, the United States government, President Trump, opened the American embassy in Jerusalem. That caused a great uproar and all sorts of threats, but nothing happened, really. Then, just a month ago, November the 19th, the United States made a statement to the United Nations through Mike Pompeo that recognises Israel's right to build settlements on the West Bank. That was inflammatory. All sorts of threats were made. Nothing happened. Now, we see in the United States... An administration which, among other things, including a booming economy, full employment, the black population getting jobs like they never got from the Obama administration, the restriction of, of migration stopping terrorists getting in, all these things, Mr Trump's been very successful. I spent a month in the United States, mainly New York, during August and September. The people love him because he gets results. Everything he said he'd do, he's doing he said he'd recognised it, shift the embassy, he did. And they haven't been able to stop. The administration of Trump, and this is all I'll say about Mr Trump, we believe is there because of his attitude towards Israel. God said to the father of Israel, Abraham, whoever curses you, I'll curse. And whoever blesses you, I'll bless. 
So why is the United States booming? Because they're lovely people? No, because their administration recognises Israel. Mr Trump's son-in-law is a Jew. Mike Pence, the Vice President, is a practising Christian in the worldly meaning of the term. But I tell you what, on the 70th anniversary of Israel, he made a speech where he quoted the very quotes we, we quote from this platform. He quoted Jeremiah 30, 33. He quoted Ezekiel 37, the Valley of Dry Bones. This man knows his Bible and he knows why Israel's there. Mike Papano, he's the Secretary of State. He was the one who, who the other week, addressed the United Nations and told them that the United States government believe Israel have a right to build settlements on the West Bank. It's their land. Incredible. And we have a new ambassador of the United Nations who uh, replaces the uh, well-known uh, previous ambassador. Uh, she's Kelly Kraft, another woman, very capable, and uh, I'm sure she'll do just as good a job as Nikki Haley did. So Jerusalem is going to precipitate the biblical Armageddon. Zechariah 14. I'll gather all nations against Jerusalem to battle. Joel 3. Behold, in those days and at that time, when I bring again the captivity of Israel, Judah, named for the people, and Jerusalem, and Jerusalem, so there's your time marker, I'll gather all nations and bring them down into the valley of Jehoshaphat, means the valley of judgment of God, actually, and will plead with them there, what for? What's the, what's the problem God has with the nations? Because of the way they treated my people and for my heritage Israel, God's heritage Israel, whom they have scattered among the nations and parted my land. When you look up a dictionary in the Bible and see the, that word parted, it means to partition or divide. That's the very term used by the United Nations in the in the, the article they passed in 1947, giving Israel a right to that land, divided between Palestinian, Arab and Jew. But the word was partition. So these are latter-day prophecies, aren't they? Russia will play a leading role in the invasion of Israel. This is common to all Christophians, and we teach this whenever we talk about the last days, that Russia will be the leading role, play the leading role in the head of the nations who invade Israel. Remember what Joel said, you got the all nations. Remember what Zechariah said, all nations. But the leader is named in Ezekiel 38. The word of the Lord came unto me saying, Son of man, set thy face against Gog, which means at the top, a leader. The land of Magog, the chief prince of Meshach and Tubal, and prophesy against him. Now, the word chief is uh, translated in most Bible uh, translations today, and even some of the older ones, like the Revised Version, the RSV, as um, the word Ross, or Russ, as we'll show you in a minute. Meshach and Tubal are typical Russian derivation. In the Hebrew language, there's just three syllables there, must. Tubal. If you've been to that part of the world as I have, every second city has that Russian name. It's sort of those consonants. Minsk, Obsk, Novosibirsk, Most. This is Russian. And Tubal, of course, is one of the great rivers of Siberia upon which the river Tobol is built to Polsky. So there's a suggestion that it is Russian. Of course, we'll show that later. This invasion occurs in Ezekiel 38. Perhaps we should turn to that. If you'll just follow this uh, for a little while. Ezekiel 38. You'll notice that this confederacy of nations, and we're not going to be able to deal with them all tonight, is um, led by Russia. But we've got a couple of time markers here as well. In verse 8. Uh, After many days, there should be visited in the latter years. There's the term again. Uh, you shall come from your, into the land that's brought back from the sword, gathered out of many nations, against the mountains of Israel, 
which have been always waste, but is now brought forth out of the nations. And are dwelling confidently, is the real meaning of the word, and no more is, nation is confident than Israel. In fact, one would be tempted to say they're a little bit cocky. They're very confident in what they've achieved and what they are able to do. Verse 11, you'll come against the land of unwalled villages, the way the uh, Israel's really founded was those unwalled villages called kibbutz. I will go to them that are at rest, this is the Russian invader, that dwell confidently, all of them dwelling without walls and having neither bars or gates. To take a spoil and to take a prey. See, they're getting rich. It says later, in cattle and goods and silver and gold, Israel's booming. It's found oil and gas. So the invasion, we notice, is from the far north in verse 14. You'll come, say unto God, in that day when my people dwell safely, thou shalt know it, and thou shalt come from your place in the north parts, the extremities of the north. And it will be as if we need any more uh, confirmation in the latter days. But then there's a divine intervention verse 18, this time my fury will come up in my face and God will rain upon this army the forces of nature which are impossible as we've seen in some of the upheavals we've seen in the news lately. There's no control of nature. Overflowing rain, great hailstones, fire and brimstone, verse 22. And then in the middle of that, as we'll see later, Christ appears. Rosh, is the, as I said, is the subject of that chapter. Uh, Jacinius is probably the most revered of the Hebrew scholars of the language. He says the proper name of a northern nation mentioned with Tubal and Meshach, undoubtedly the Russians, who are mentioned by Byzantine, that is Constantine, uh, Constantinople writers, of the 10th century under the name, there's, there's the Greek form, three, three consonants, not Rosh or Rus, dwelling to the north of Taurus and so forth. So we know it's Russian. I borrowed a Russian Bible and I didn't, couldn't read Russian, of course, but I asked the person, can you show me Ezekiel 38 where the word Rus occurs? And there it is twice in Russian. When I was in Kiev, I photographed the place where the first church was built in Russia by Vladimir, Prince of Rus. That's what's on the, that stone, Prince of Rus. The same words as in Ezekiel 38, Prince of Rus, AD 98. And also the statue of Vladimir, Prince of Rus, who brought uh, Christianity to the first state of Russia was Kiev before Moscow when the, the Mongols conquered Kiev, the capital shifted uh, up to Moscow in about the 1400s. So Russia is today on the move, and it's moving stealthily south. We won't have time to deal with Daniel's prophecy tonight, but the latter part of Daniel's prophecy describes how when the Greek Empire broke up, the eastern part of the empire, which included Israel and Egypt, uh, divided into two sections, north and south, with Ptolemy and, uh, and the other, other one, I forget his name, but uh, the two Seleucid, the Seleucid Empire and the Ptolemaic Empire. The Seleucid in the north, where Syria is today, and Ptolemy in Egypt. We all know the story of Cleopatra and so forth. Now, Russia went into that part earlier in the year, ostensibly to help in the defeat of ISIS, actually they went in last year, and supporting Syria's dictator, Assad. Assad. So you know who Russia's friends are. I mean, Russia's friends are the enemies of Israel, despite the protestations of Mr. Putin. It has positioned men and armaments on Israel's border. It supports Iran, Israel's deadliest enemy, and he gives, they give missiles to Hezbollah. They smuggle them in from in convoys via this northern Syria into Hezbollah, who have arrayed along the northern border of Israel a whole battery of missiles. 
and the Israeli Air Force bombed those convoys as frequently as they can. The Israeli Air Force also bombed the storehouses where they store the musicians occasionally. And of course, the Syrians always say, no, we shot them all down, but then you look in the video clips on, on YouTube and you see great flames and smoke billowing over Damascus. And, you know, no, no, we shot them down. Well, they're great liars. Now, you see here the dangerous situation for Israel with, with Russia up here. Ostensibly, to help Turkey deal with Kurds here, who actually were very helpful in dealing with ISIS. And they've also got some positions down here. So this, this worries Israel a little bit. But of course, Mr Netanyahu is assured by Mr Putin things are all right. And uh, they have quite good friends at present. But we just read in Ezekiel 38 that eventually Russia, we didn't read the verse, but it says they will think an evil thought and say, I will go up against the land. So things are going to change in the Middle East. Now, the Golan Heights, the, there are Russian troops helping the Syrians. But look, the Golan Heights, they just look over Galilee like a balcony and up until 1967 the farmers in the field were under constant threat of missiles, bombs, shells coming over and so this area here is so vital to Israel and Mr Netanyahu says the Golan Heights are non-negotiable and so they should be. They were captured by Israel in 1967 in the Six Day War in a fabulous operation uh, Mr. Trump recognises the Golan as part of Israel in March this year. Another utterance from the American administration, the Golan Heights belong to Israel. I mean, right from the time of Joshua, they belonged to Israel. Two and a half of the tribes of Israel on that side of the Jordan when Joshua came into the land. They were claimed by Syria, of course. And in 1974, therefore, because of the dispute, there was after the 1973 war, the United Nations stepped in and put observers in there to prevent hostilities. But they allowed Syria to close closer and closer to the border. They've shut their eyes to Russian involvement. Iranian soldiers have been confirmed by the Israeli intelligence up there. And the United Nations do nothing. Russia supports Syria and Hezbollah and also Iranian, uh, Iran. So despite Mr Putin's reassurance by their fruits, you shall know him. Now, Russian intrigue south. Russia also, we notice in Ezekiel 38 while we're there, that among the people who are with them, and we can't deal with them all, there's Magog and Goma who are European uh, due to the migration of the Scythian tribes, over centuries into Europe. Most people would uh, put them as Ger France and Germany. It's in Goma and Togoma. Now, there's no argument over the Scythian uh, Togoma. He was uh, one of the Scythian founders. They, they went up the rivers, Danube and Don. Most of the historians tell us about that, Strabo, Pliny and all those. Um, Goma's interesting because... Only this week, in searching, I, um, I thought I'd get something new for you tonight, particularly with Chris Delvin sitting here. I came across a book written by M.C. Taylor, a lecturer at Trinity College in Dublin. Now, I visited Trinity College when in England 2015 because it's got a massive library there, one of the biggest in the world. And he wrote this book called The... The History of France and Normandy, Northeast Europe. And he says this, that the, the, uh, the Gomeri and the Sumerians were the original inhabitants of what he called Gaul, which of course was the name of France when the Romans conquered Gaul. So we can just clear that up. But what we're really looking at is this... Uh, uh, the uh, 
these other nations. See in verse 5, these nations haven't changed their name like the other. Persia, Ethiopia, that's changed a little bit because it used to be Kush and Libya. Now, Russia's looking at each of those three places. You'll notice Egypt is not there. Egypt has made friends with Israel. But the other nations there in North Africa, Mr. Putin's very interested. They've had a meeting with these leaders of Libya. After the death of Gaddafi, the United Nations put a representative in Tripoli. But there's a rebellion on down there. And here's one of the guys that does all the dealing for Putin. His name is Prigozhin. Eugeny Prigozhin. And he's an oligarch. That is one of these big businessmen. He's called Putin's chef, and you're not going to believe this, but apparently he was selling hamburgers and hot dogs off a stall in, in the street in Russia. And uh, over time, he came into Putin's ambit, and Putin elevated him, and he's a very sneaky individual. And there he is sitting next to the Libyan leaders. The rebellion, of course, is uh, led by a general who dissented, and he is attacking the... The, uh, the leaders that the UN put into Tripoli. So there's a rebellion going on there. And who supplies the arms for the rebels? Russia. Now, we're going to have a talk. Ну, есть там проблемы, есть. Но нельзя их выпячивать и, и с помощью этих проблем пытаться уничтожить саму римскую католическую церковь. Вот что нельзя делать. А мне кажется, иногда, что а, отдельные элементы, отдельные проблемы в, в католической церкви начинаются вот этими либеральными кругами и используются как инструмент уничтожения самой церкви. Вот что я считаю неправильным и опасным. А, ну, хорошо. Значит, мы что, забыли, что мы все живем Мы православный народ в России, да? И между православным католическим миром всегда были проблемы. Но я именно поэтому сейчас скажу именно католикам. Ну, есть там проблемы, есть. Но нельзя их выпячивать и, и с помощью этих проблем пытаться уничтожить саму римскую католическую церковь. Вот что нельзя делать. А мне кажется, иногда, что отдельные элементы, отдельные проблемы в католической церкви начинаются вот этими либеральными кругами и используются как инструмент уничтожения самой церкви. Вот что я считаю неправильным и опасным. Но, ну хорошо, значит, мы что забыли, что мы все живем в мире, который основан на библейских ценностях. Даже, даже атеисты. Но мы все живем в этом мире. Нужно об этом не вспоминать каждый день, не ходить в церковь, там, лук не, не бить, а, а пол, там, показывая, показывая какой-то христианин или мусульманин, или иудей. Но в душе и в сердце должны быть, быть какие-то основополагающие человеческие правила, моральные ценности. В этом смысле традиционные ценности стабильнее, важнее для данных людей, чем вот эта либеральная идея, которая, на мой взгляд, прекращает свое существование. Религия. Религия не является опиумом народа. Нет, не является. Но вот я чувствую, что вы далеки от религии, потому что уже без 15 час ночи по московскому времени, а вы все продолжаете меня мучить. У вас... У вас, как у нас говорит, кристально у вас нет. This is history. Well, there's Putin as Mr. Manisky, making jokes, making a case for Christian values and biblical values, praising the Catholic Church. I think that's an amazing interview. Daniel the prophet said, the possessor of Constantinople who would morph into the king of the north shall by craft destroy many. This man is one of the most clever men on the planet. 
because the Bible tells you what he's ultimate, what he's going to do ultimately. I thought you liked that. Now, I've just put this up because Christophians sometimes are accused of making the most of the news. Well, in 1848, Dr. John Thomas, in a book called Elpis Israel, which means the hope of Israel, said this. I'm not going to read it all. The future movements of Russia are notable signs of the times. Remember we started this talk with what are the time signatures? How do we know we're in the times? Because the predicted in the scriptures are truth. So Russia is going to be one of the signs of the times. When Russia makes its grand move for the building up of its image empire, this is a reference to Daniel 2, we can't deal with that tonight, then let the reader know that the end of all things as at present constituted is at hand. It's a sign that God is about to intervene and the long expected but still the advent of the king of Israel, who's Jesus, that's what he said to Pilate, are you a king? Yes, I am. Will be on the eve of becoming a fact. And salvation will be to the sort of people who've been expecting it and obeying the gospel. Now that was written in 1848, which incidentally was the same year that that book by M.C. Taylor of Dublin um, in Trinity College wrote about Goma and, and France. It's interesting, isn't it? Same year. So there were far more intelligent people around in those days than there are today, obviously. Now I'm going to talk about Britain. I don't know whether the foreign policies in 1848 of Britain entertained the idea of assuming the sovereignty of the Holy Land or promoting the colonisation by the Jews. Their present intentions, however, are no importance because God has set out what they will do. The finger of God has indicated the course to be pursued by Britain, which cannot be evaded. So, Dr. Thomas, on the basis of scripture, saw, and some of the evidence looks slender, but he said that. But he wasn't the only one, because towards the end of the 1800s, the leaders, the prime ministers and the people in power in Britain knew their Bible. So by the First World War, a Prime Minister, Lloyd George, was brought up in a little village in, in Wales and he was taught in Sunday school that the Jews would go back to the land. The man for the hour, cometh the hour, cometh the man. Lloyd George, Lord Balfour, Bible reading man, drafted up the Balfour Declaration, suggesting that the British government view with favour the establishment of the homeland for the Jews in Palestine. And of course, Chaim Weizmann, the Jewish scientist who virtually saved England in the First World War with a method, rapid method of making explosives. All these men were the men for the hour. And they came after Dr. Thomas's death, most of them, but he said this would happen. He doesn't know whether the leaders of Britain conceive this at present, but they will be moved eventually to do it. And they were. So Christophians are not talking just because it's happening now. And here we go. What a weekend. What a weekend it's been. Even we, we've been seeing this for a long time. Me and many others have stood here talking about Britain's role in Bible prophecy. But I don't think any of us thought we'd wake up on Saturday morning with an 80-seat majority. The worst Labor loss since 1935 and conservative governments now, in what Ezekiel 38 calls the young lions of the Tarshish power, there's the main ones. And they've all now got conservative governments. Jeremy Corbyn, who's a very nasty man, totally anti-Semitic, supports the Palestinian Authority and Hamas. And the news clips coming yesterday morning, which I searched out, we can't talk about everything. But he claimed that he is not anti-Semitic and he did have no relationship with terrorist organisations. So the press in England have just published a picture of him at the grave of a terrorist being buried and he's holding one of the wreaths. The man is an anti-Semite and an evil liar. 
and God's swept him away in the most damaging result since 1935 for the Labor Party. This is the hand of God working over this last week. And what are the opportunities opening now? Opportunities for trade and the alignment for Ezekiel 38 is now in position. Tarshish, see, and the young lions. You'd have to be somehow born in a different era not to know that the lions... Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, everybody. Good afternoon. This, this morning I, I went to Buckingham Palace and I am forming a new government. And on Monday, MPs will arrive at Westminster to form a new parliament. And I'm proud to say that members of our new One Nation government, a people's government, were set out from constituencies that have never returned a Conservative MP for a hundred years. And yes, they will have an overwhelming mandate from this election to get Brexit done, and we will honour that mandate by January the 31st. Yeah, he's a Mr. Fix-It like Donald Trump. He just gets the job done. Less talk, get the job done. And this is going to be good for England and everyone, of course. Now, uh, we must sort of hurry along. I've still got one more speaker to go. Yeah, well, Britain... I have not named Britain, says the same author in the same book, page 226, among the ten toes of Daniel's image. The ten toes of Daniel's image represented in this image that was shown to Nebuchadnezzar the breakup of the old Roman Empire into fragments. And that was really after the Goths sacked Rome, uh, the, the, some of the, the pagan powers spilled over in the Roman Empire and formed independent kingdoms, like the Franks, the Huns, and you've heard of them all in history. Existing theories, however, uh, require Britain uh, to be counted through the island was part of, though the island was part of the Roman dominion, was, existing theories require Britain to be counted in, but I have nothing to do with them. I propose to show a more consistent interpretation that shall harmonise with other important, interesting parts of the prophetic word. And that's the strength, if we might say, and it sounds like boasting, of the Christadelphian position. We, we make statements which are confirmed by other parts of Scripture. We don't stab at single quotes or things. All the prophets speak of these things, not necessarily this one, but uh, they, you've got to harmonise the whole message. So these are the reasons why Britain is not part of Europe when Christ comes. The ten independent kingdoms which arose on the continent of Europe by 498, uh, uh, 93 AD were after the time that the Goths conquered Rome. So it was in a vacuum period which ended when Charlemagne united the empire in 800. During that time, ten of these kingdoms were formed. Now, Penguin Bible Atlas proves this. Gibbon's decline and fall of the empire proves this and names those ten kingdoms. Britain was part of the Roman Empire up to 410 AD, from Julius Caesar to 43 to 400 AD. 410. So Britain was, see what the significance is? Britain's out of, Rome is out of Britain before the ten kingdoms formed which was at the end of the 5th century, after the Goths had conquered Rome. Not only that, but Henry VIII broke with the Roman Catholic Church in 1534. Wanted to marry someone else, of course. The Spanish Armada, which was a purely Catholic-led attempt to invade England and put their own king on the throne, was defeated in 1588 by a massive storm which wrecked their armada. And there's a statue of Constantine at York in England, and uh, of course he became the emperor in 312 and changed the religion of Rome to Catholicism in uh, 324, the Nicene Council. So, England doesn't belong to Europe. What's its significance here, Tarshish? Well, it goes right back to Genesis, as a lot of things do. 
they're the sons of Jacob. You see all the names here in this eagle, they're all here. Shubal, Meshach, Goma, Mago, Tashish. He's one of the sons of, of Japheth, grandson. By these, says the Bible, the islands of the Gentiles were inhabited. The great, I use him quite a lot from this platform, George Vodansky, he was the, the lecturer in Russian history at Yale University for about 20 years from the 1940s to 1950s. So we've got a modern historian who says that all these Russian tribes, Rus, Mago, Goma, all came from the Caspian Black Sea area and they were called Japhetites. He's a Russian historian, a modern Russian historian, saying they all came from Japheth and they migrated all over the, the then known world. Among them was Tarshish. Now, in Ezekiel 30, 20, 27, we read that they traded with a place called Tarshish. And the, the Phoenicians actually called it Baratonic, the Isles of Tin, and the Greeks had their own word for it, the Isles of Tin. Cassiterite is actually, I learnt when I was doing chemistry, Cassiterite is the ore from which they extract tin. And by the Romans, Britannia. And you've got Bocart's geography, these two here, uh, Brewers, Britain, I picked up in, in Truro when I was in Cornwall, and uh, this is considered to be one of the best histories of uh, Cornwall and the tin trade. Now, people get confused because the, the, <laughs> the Tyrians were very cunning. They didn't disclose where they got their tin. It was the best quality in the world for making bronze. The, the zinc and tin make bronze, and this was used for weapons, for swords and whatnot. And they had colonies of Alexandria, Carthage and Spain. They did mine some tin at Spain. But they also went to the east, to India, because that's another story. But they didn't disclose where they went. Now, people say, well, look at all the... They were called Tarshish in their day. Yes, well, of course, in Adelaide we've got Cheltenham, we've got Stepney and we've got Malvern. And why, why have we got all these English names of London suburbs and so forth? Because we were colonised by England. And it's the same thing here. They, they, they called themselves by the name as they went. So there's no problem with that. Now, while I was in Cornwall, I took this picture. You probably can't see it in the Truro Museum of a tin ring up. Uh, large tin got in through a museum believed to be Phoenician. Now you notice it's cleft here and the person I was with uh, sort of commented on this and said well uh, you know why that is and I didn't know the answer because it proves it was by ship by ships to, to get it in the hold of the ship so going across the Bay of Biscay on the way home the Phoenicians wouldn't capsize and th there it is. The Roman he got is different. It's a different shape because the Romans mined tin in England. But all the evidence points to England being the great Tarshish of the Bible that traded with, uh, with Tyre, the Phoenician ships that went to England. Now, it's interesting that off the coast of Israel, about a month ago, they found a ship carrying ingots. And they sent the ingots back to England to be assayed. The result, this tin came from Cornwall. Cornwall had the finest tin in the ancient world. And you can see the old tin mines when you go to Cornwall today, but of course they are not uh, operating now. They got tinned out. The young lions of the latter days. Well, the young lions are the Commonwealth countries. England's the mother lion. Here's the coat of arms of the Queen. There's a Canadian poster and the famous uh, First World War poster with all the young, you can't see it here, but Australia, Canada, in those days South Africa, Merchant of Tarshish with the young lions thereof. So, and by the way, if you've got the Weekend Australian, turn it up in, in the section on World News, the Inquirer, and you'll see the cartoon. There's always a cartoon. And the big cartoon is of Boris Johnson. And he's been hugged by a big lion. <laughs> so everybody, everybody knows that 
the lion is the symbol of Great Britain. Ancient Sheba and Dedan, we'll quickly go over here because we're running out of time. These describe Saudi Arabia and the Gulf states which will support Israel. You see Sheba, Dedan, the merchants of Tarshish. What are these other nations doing supporting England? Well, they're in the Arabian Peninsula. There's the kingdom of Sheba. Dedan was further north towards the Gulf. Now, what's Britain's involvement there? They've got a big naval base, Bahrain for a start, but there's a lot of things happening. A lot of things happening this year. This one is December the 2nd. I told you I'd be up to date in this talk. December the 2nd. There's Prince William meeting some of the leaders of the Gulf states, Kuwait and Amman. Here is Mr Netanyahu, and he's visiting the Sultan of Amman, which is north of the Arabian Peninsula, the area of Dedan, October 26, 2019. This is right off the press. The leader of England, Bonya, the other members of the royal family have visited the Gulf states. Prince Charles has, the Queen has years ago when she was, of course, much younger. Now I'm going to finish up quickly. I'm going to go over time, but I've got another speaker tonight with me, and that's the Pope of Rome. So you won't want to miss him. The role of the papacy in the world today. The papacy is bidding for greater power and influence in the world. Of course, it starts with Europe. There's the famous meeting in March the 27th, 2017, when the Pope gathered all these leaders of Europe on the anniversary of the first common market and the European beginning of the European Union. Uh, he didn't realise he was behind the Michelangelo's terrible painting of The Last Judgment, but uh, there he is with all the leaders. You'll notice, of course, that Mrs May, who was at time the Prime Minister of England, is not there. Again, confirming our view of Bible prophecy. England does not belong in Catholic Europe. Does not. Insieme a voi, faccio appello a tutte le personalità pubbliche che a livello mondiale sono già impegnate nel dedicato settore dell'educazione delle nuove generazioni ho fiducia che non si tireranno indietro cerchiamo insieme di trovare soluzioni avviare i processi di trasformazione senza paura invito ciascuno di voi ad essere protagonista di questa alleanza L'appuntamento è per il giorno 14 maggio 2020 a Roma. Vi aspetto e fin d'ora vi saluto e benedico. Grazie. Well, there it is. An invitation to be in Rome on the 14th of May next year, the anniversary of Israel's formation. Is that deliberate? The Pope has embarked on a process of globalization. He sees himself now bringing all nations together. The last time that was attempted was the Tower of Babel. And of course, God confounded it. And that one of the symbols of the European Union is Peter Bruegel's painting of 1553 of the Tower of Babel. And it's used on posters of the European Union. And the Parliament building in Brussels is fashioned on the Tower of the Babel. Do these people understand what they're doing? They're inviting God to knock it down. I mean, people are in the hands of God like clay. The European Union has chosen some of the symbols, the Tower of Babel. He's bringing all languages together, all leaders of the world, politicians, the full speech, of course, politicians, educators, uh, business leaders, corporations, all to be send their representatives to Rome on the 14th of May, 2020. Now, I'm now in overtime, but I'm sorry about that. We'll just finish off shortly. The Bible tells us about a power that would cause a falling away from the truth in Second Corinthians, Thessalonians, from the teaching of the apostles of Christ, the coming of the Lord, Paul said in this passage, will not occur until there's a big apostasy and a departure from truth. 
a religion headed up by a single man who sits in the temple of God speaking for God and saying he is God. When the Pope sits on the throne and makes a papal edict, it's called ex cathedra, from the throne, and it's God speaking. That's the Catholic doctrine. And the Bible said that way back in AD 50-odd. A religion which claims to perform miracles, lying wonders, Paul says. Lying wonders. Worship of relics. Pieces of the cross. All sorts of things. Where, and places like Lourdes, where people go for cures. By the way, Lourdes has gone very quiet. Have you noticed over the last few years? Don't hear much about it. Maybe things didn't work. It will be consumed and destroyed at Christ's coming. Now, if we had time, we'd show you that in Daniel 7, those exact words are used. That at the time of the end, God will consume and destroy that power that emanates from Rome, that religion from Rome. Paul picks up those two words in the New Testament. So, and finally, we go back to where we started, and that is in the Olivet Prophecy. And some of the last words Jesus left with, him, with us is these words. When you see these things come to pass, you know that the kingdom of God is nigh at hand. And our words to hang on as we leave tonight, ladies and gentlemen, those of you who are here, these are Jesus' final warnings. And he said, don't let your hearts be overcome, overcharged with excessive living and the cares of this life. Because as a snare will it come upon all the inhabitants of the earth. So here's Jesus saying, don't worry. Don't get yourself concerned or hit up. These things are a sign that I'm coming. You watch out for yourselves. And so we leave you with that message to, while it's still time, inquire into what is the true gospel of the kingdom and the coming of the Lord and having believed it, to be baptised into Jesus Christ so that we might enter into that kingdom which is coming to establish 